Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. Large classes can be tough to pull off. After all, how do you craft a meaningful experience for 250 people or more? Rachel Davenport is a senior lecturer at Texas State University, and she's taught so many large classes that she jokes she has trouble adjusting to a small seminar room. And she's been recognized with several teaching awards, and students regularly sing her praises. I sat down with Davenport last week during the WCET conference in Denver to talk about her approach to teaching, and about what tech she uses and what she avoids. We'll have the conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. All right, we're sitting down today with Rachel Davenport, a senior lecturer at Texas State University and an award-winning faculty member there. Um, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. People have seen TED Talks. Your students are, are kind of, they've, they've seen these highly produced slick productions. Um, do you feel a pressure to put on a show for them in these large lectures? Yeah, that's a really good question. I haven't been asked before, but there are, so, so the answer is no, not anymore. So yes at first. Yeah, I did. The not anymore, there, there are ways to make it feel less like you are performing for them for an hour and 20 minutes uh, and more, uh, this word I used earlier, collaborative. So I, um, I stop every 10 or 15 minutes and I ask the students a question that they have to work on. Uh, they often work together on it, so in small groups. Uh, and, and that's only a break of two, three minutes tops maybe, but um, it, it breaks it up so that I'm not just sort of on a stage giving a show for a while and it, it makes it kind of pulls them into it. I, I think the, the other thing too, if you try hard to put on a show, it doesn't go as well. You're not focusing on the material. If you can let that go and just focus on the material and what you love and trying to get it across in an understandable way, um, everything else just sort of goes smoothly. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah, in fact, I um, I would say I am probably of my colleagues the most awkward <laughs> professor. I I okay. stumble over words often. I put my foot in my mouth. I uh, you know I I am a bit of an awkward person. Uh, I am a bit ditzy, um, and and I think my students actually kind of find that endearing when I sort of embrace it and I'm silly about it. Um, they're, they're pretty forgiving, especially when they know my intentions are good and I'm trying hard. So they're pretty forgiving with that. That's the, you know, that's a very different stereotype, right? Of a professor, right? Yeah. Who yes. Knows everything. <laughs> yes. Oh no. I, I, um, I also am that person. I really dislike, uh, BSing and I really dislike when people BS. And so if a student asks me a question that I don't know, that's excellent. That means we, we both get to learn, not just them because they get a question answered, but me too, because I can look it up and figure it out. Um, or it tells us where there's holes in the knowledge. And, you know, science is not, we, we don't know everything. And so I actually think getting to say, I don't know, let's look it up. Again, is that collaborative, we're learning together. Uh, this is not just, I'm going to spit out a bunch of information at you that you're just going to memorize and that's it. It really makes it a more... Um, we're all in this together kind of a feel. I think there is, though, a sense that some 
I even hear, I know some professors feel like the way to do it is to explain, to, mm-hmm. to be very, um, you know, sort of authoritative. Mm-hmm. And some students actually want it, according to some sur- surveys and, and interviews that I've done. So do you get any pushback for not knowing the answers? No. I mean, I, that's right, that's, that there are students that, that want to feel that sort of overwhelming confidence that their professor knows everything. I actually get the opposite. In my evaluations, my student evaluations at the end of the course, um, or if you check, rate my professor or anything, I often get comments of um, that they, they appreciate that I will say if I don't know something, they like that I'll go look it up. Um, so, so no, I don't, I'm sure that there are people, students in, in my class that dislike it, but it seems like the majority are glad for it. There's a lot of efforts to kind of tweak um, large lectures by bringing in technologies of various sorts. Yes. Yeah. Um, are there tools that you've used uh, in your classes? Yeah, there are. And, and I've used several for all different reasons. Do you have a favorite? I do. Yeah, I do. And so, so let me tell you about what I use, but then let me tell you, there are all sorts of other ones that you can use. So I'll plug what I like, but, but there's so many different, um, types of technology out there. So some of the things that I find are, are, I'm going to tell you the things that I find really important to incorporate in, even in large lectures. And it seems like a whole lot of things, but then I found a really good piece of technology that allows me to address all of them. So I think uh, active learning is really important. People talk about this all the time, but but this ability for students to actually work with the material, practice what they're learning. So I want to stop every you know ten or fifteen minutes throughout class and ask them. Um, uh, an application type question, a scenario type question, um, so that they have to apply what they've just learned. So there's this active learning component. There is this um, need for feedback from students to find out how things are going. Um, did you, you know, did I explain something really well? If so, and I know the students got it, it's time to move on. If I didn't explain it well. And they, or they just don't get it, I need to know to go back and spend more time on it. So that's another another key piece. I think breaking class up just so that their attention spans aren't don't run out and stay stay run out. So so these are all important things to me. And so there is a piece of technology that I use uh, called Top Hat, which is a student response system. Students can get it on their any kind of device, phone, tablet, laptop. And I use this system where I activate a question every 10, 15 minutes, and it'll be... It's displayed on a screen. It's just, yep, exactly. Displayed on a screen. Students, uh, you can, you can do it quiz style, but in, in my particular class, I let students use notes, open book, uh, they can work with their neighbors. So this is also a great opportunity for peer to peer learning, uh, and just student interaction in general. Um, and so they answer the question, and then I get, this immediate feedback because you know with top hat it'll just show you kind of the the um especially if you use multiple choice type questions which i do in my for the most part in my my large lectures and it it tells you what students thought the answer was and so if you see that 80 to 100 percent of the students all got it right great move on you're done they they got it if you see that uh they didn't quite get there it's a good opportunity to either go back or 
to give the students some time and say, you know what, talk to your peers some more and convince each other of, of why the answer is whatever you put. And usually if I do that, I just give them two minutes. Uh, I will go back and look and everybody's got it right. You so don't they, tell them. No, they, they, I might, no, I don't even say what the right answer is, anything. So they teach each other, which I think is that, that peer learning is so important. Um, or if it's really low, if students just are not getting it, uh, that that's a really good sign to me. Let me go back and do it again. Let me try to do it in different words or in a different way. Let me go back and, and spend time on the material. It's a great way to incentivize coming to class. Uh, when you have a large lecture, especially an intro for non-majors, they don't always want to be there, but it does kind of incentivize it if they can collect a few points each day. Is there a technology that you feel is overhyped or that you've tried and didn't work? So as, as far as what hasn't worked, I don't know that there's much that's big. I know um, one of the things that I have, that I am foregoing, although many of my colleagues are using, are the um, online sort of publishers platforms uh, where they can do lots of online homeworks. There are adaptive learning components, all sorts of things that are available from the publishers. Those things are, to me, great in majors courses. In my non-majors intro course, uh, I, those sorts of things are awfully time consuming and I do find myself backing off on requiring a huge amount of out of class work. My, if my learning goals can be met by the end of the semester without the students having to spend hours and hours every week on these some people might call it busy work. Some people might just say, no, these are assignments that are useful. But if my learning goals are met without using those, I don't see the necessity in, in requiring students to buy, to purchase access, to spend all of that time. So I know that that is something that many of my colleagues are currently using uh, in their large non-majors courses that I'm, that I've chosen not to use. Yeah, that's interesting because I think, you know, there's that theory of that the most learning takes place out of class right, on yeah. projects and whatnot. I yeah. mean, do you, do you kind of not agree with that or? No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's probably right. Um, and I do encourage my students to form study groups. I give them this exam review that they work on. Um, hopefully I recommend that they're working on it, you know, each day a little bit after class. So my hope is that they are actually spending time outside of class I think the the issue for me is this intro for non-majors. This stuff isn't rocket science. It's um, and so if my students are learning really well without these expensive tools, I don't feel the need to pull in some new technique. If they weren't doing very well, or you know, if it's just really hard material for for my um, my majors courses, for example, um, especially my, my junior, senior level, they're doing a lot of out of class work, but I, I really don't want to do this thing where I think what I'm teaching is the most important thing in the world. And the students should be spending all of their time on my course and be the most interested in that. I I think that's really sort of naive and, and arrogant. Hmm. Now, you mentioned Rate My Professors. And yes. I wanted to say you are very highly rated in the Rate My Professors. This is, for those who don't know it, it's an anonymous site that students do find on their own. Um, and they often, I think, use it to choose classes, from what I'm told. 
Um, but I, the, the, the top rated comment is Dr. Davenport is seriously the only person you should ever consider taking for whatever she teaches. And I'm completely serious. <laughs> so that's, that's very flattering. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of, you know, there are other ones like this, but there's also something that happens across the site and that I'm sure you've seen is that a lot of times this, the, the quality as judged by these anonymous students on this random site is, um, that sometimes the next breath is that it's easy or that it's an easy A or yeah. something. Um, do you, and some of those on here are like that for you. Yes. Do you worry at all about, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, congratulations for getting the high ratings, <laughs> but do you, you worry at all about the, the other comments about kind of, Oh, it's just an easy A. Yes. Yeah. And actually, um, yes, I worry about that. And especially, you know, there, there is research showing that, uh, student evaluations are correlated with uh, the grades earned at the end of the semester. The more students you have with A's and B's, the higher rated you're going to be uh, in your end of semester evaluations. One of the ways that I um, make sure that I am not giving, just giving out A's and B's, students don't get grades, they earn them. Um, we actually, within the university, we have um, a reporting tool that tells us um, the percent of A's, B's, C's, et cetera, given out by every instructor in every course. And as long as you have a login at Texas State, you are able to see that. So I am actually able to go in every semester and look at, compared to my colleagues, uh, am I on par? Am I giving out more A's and B's? Am I giving out less? And every semester that I've been there, I am right smack in the middle. Uh, so I'm not the, the easiest professor. I'm not the hardest professor. Um, and, and so that's in my non-majors class. In my in the, the upper-level majors class, uh, all of my students say I'm the hardest professor. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, so, so there are ways to just sort of check on that and, and to make sure that um, it's not that everybody's happy because they all have A's. As I mentioned, you've won a couple of teaching awards mm -hmm. um, at different institutions that you've been at. Yeah. And, um, you know, that... That's um, it puts you in this league of somebody who you know clearly loves it, and that love might that translates, and people kind of pick up on that. But what what do you think? Um, what does it take to be an award winning teacher? I mean, what <laughs> sure. what is it about? What is it that that is the, the what what do you see as the the thing that that sets sets that up, or what do you aim for? Mm -hmm. If I had to say, you know, what my particular superpower is as a as a professor, it would be um, I. I'm very approachable to my students. I work really hard to be approachable. I truly care about my students. Now, that doesn't mean I'm pushed around easily, but it does come through and they can tell that I care about them and I care that they learn. They know that I'm willing to work hard to help overcome what, you know, whatever they need me to overcome uh, to reach them. Um, and my classes are very inclusive. So I think that, um, that is one area of strength I can see in my own classes that, that I don't necessarily see in all classes. And what is it? I mean, how do, how do you portray that? Or mm -hmm. how do you, 
Because obviously it's probably not a, even a one-on-one conversation with every one of 250 students. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you give that uh, vibe? Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's hard. My, my classes are all 250 students. Um, and I teach multiple sections in a day. So this is, I'm seeing a lot of people and you're right. I can't have those one-on-one conversations. So I think the way that I get it across, I mean, one, I actually feel it. So you, you have to, you know, actually care. Uh, and, and then once that's there, I think the ways that it comes across, it can be as early as in my syllabus um, and on our, our LMS site. Um, even the language that I use is um, very, I'm trying to think of a good word to say for it, accommodating uh, and kind. In class, um, I encourage my office hours, you know, come visit me in my office hours. I encourage that almost every class I mention it. Um, and even things like, uh, I tell them, Hey, I've got five chairs in my office. It's not going to be weird. Like, you know, you all just come in, hang out. Uh, we can have some coffee. You know, I, I, I really try to make them feel comfortable and not feel intimidated by me. Um, I, and do people come for your office hours? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, more so than I see usually office hours for, for some of my colleagues means, they're just doing work with the door open. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. I, I think that's a lot of campuses. Yeah. 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 No, I, um, I, not every day, uh, but I, I often have lines outside my office and, and I have five chairs full at any given time. My, my five student chairs full. Um, so it's a group session. It's, it feels like a little mini classroom. Although, uh, I, we don't just talk about the material and I teach multiple classes. So I might have two students in an upper level majors course and then three students in my intro for non-majors course. And and we all kind of are chatting. And so sometimes it's about the material and sometimes it's, you know, turns to other things, you, you know, um, so, so I think with that, that comfort and approachability, I think also makes them feel comfortable and confident with the material. I think another way in my classes that I really try to, try to, you know, maintain that approachability and that collaborative feel. I stop multiple times per class and say, um, does that make sense? What can I clarify? What questions do you have? And then I actually stop and let it be quiet. I don't just wait two seconds and nobody's hand goes up. So I go on, you know, I stop and I look around and I give them, give them a little bit. Um, and so that feels really awkward for students in this large class at first, but after just a few classes, um, hands start going up easily, uh, and it really feels like a, a space where students can ask questions and not feel awkward doing that. Um, or at least if they are nervous to ask questions, especially in such a large classroom, me doing that makes them feel like I want to help. And so they're more likely to maybe come ask me after class or to seek me out in office hours. Why do you think it's and I think I, I would say that I think it's a bit of a rarity. You mentioned the description of like what makes you a teacher. And it almost just feels obvious, right? It almost feels like, well, it's just being a good person. Like somebody who's interested in people yeah. and who's curious. <laughs> and I, I, I don't mean this at all, but why aren't all professors like that? Why, sure. why are these in these various ratings and, and awards, like you're a standout and for doing things that you're kind of saying is the, what, what a lot of people would say is just, just the, what any pro- professor should be. Um, why do you think other professors are not as inclusive or all these things that your students are kind of responding to? Yeah. Well, I think um, the motivations for teaching 
or for being there in the classroom are different. Uh, there is a, a bit of a stereotype about research professors that they are, they may be fantastic researchers and maybe not so strong in the classroom. Uh, I have known in my career um, professors that really don't want to be in the classroom. They're there because they want to do the research. They like academia, but teaching is just something they have to do. It's the least favorite part of their job. So so I think there there are people that um, just aren't as interested in, in the teaching aspect. Um, I think there are people that are burnt out. They may have been really interested, but it's not always a, a high-paying or supportive field. Um, and, and so I think that it's easy to get burnt out. Um, I, I think maybe there are also um, professors who who maybe have that underlying care and concern, but they're overworked. They don't have a way to be reading up on things or to be trying out new things. Maybe they're teaching at several different universities, picking up classes when they can. So um, so I think there's all, all different reasons for that. Well, great. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about or add? So my final, and I think most important piece of advice, I've, I've been to many different um, professional development workshops on on pedagogy, you know, teaching strategies, and there are lots of things that you learn about that are important for every class, no matter what. I mean, active learning, sure, is important. Student engagement is important, no matter the class. However, there are tips that they give that aren't necessarily true for everyone. So. I really think that you need to kind of figure out who you are and play to your strengths. Um, an example, people say, oh, use humor in your class. I do. Uh, my humor is more, I can be very silly and ditzy, and so I kind of poke fun at that. Uh, but I'm very bad at sarcasm. And if I tried to be sarcastic, uh, it wouldn't go over well. Or if I tried to be really self-deprecating, it would be really awkward for me and for the students. Whereas I have a colleague who is the king of sarcasm uh, and and his students love that. But if he tried to do my kind of humor, it wouldn't work. I have a colleague who has no sense of humor at all. In fact, I'm not even sure I've ever seen her smile. Her students still love her. If she went into her classroom and tried to make jokes it would feel awkward and uncomfortable for everyone. So I think kind of figuring out where your strengths are and what feels really natural for you is important because when you feel comfortable and natural, your students are going to pick up on that and respond. Great. Well, thank you for taking the time to share these tips and views from your class. You're welcome. This has been the Ed Surge on Air podcast. If you like this show, you should check out a new experiment we're trying later this week called Ed Surge Live. It's an hour-long call-in show done via web video. I'll be hosting the debut episode this Thursday, November 2nd, at 3.30 Eastern Time. The topic is who controls artificial intelligence in higher ed and why it matters. We'll have a couple of guests, uh, some researchers and some people involved in building these algorithms, to debate the issues, and we're going to take plenty of your questions. Just Google EdSurge Live and you'll find all the details. Meanwhile, we'll be back next week with another episode of this podcast. Until then, thanks for listening.